But today, we begin a new series. And you notice the title of it. It's called All In. Now, realize those two words can be used in a number of ways. And and let me put the first definition on the screen that some people can resonate with this. I'm all in, completely exhausted and fatigued or worn out. It's the holidays. Matter of fact, let me put a picture on the screen here. Is that you right now after the holidays? You're all worn out. And you're going like this, man, I just need a nap. And that would take care of it. Now let me put the antidote, another picture on the screen for there. There. That's what you really need, okay? And uh, if you were to think about what's, well, I'm all in on that picture, okay? That would work out if we wouldn't want to use it in that context. But let me put up a second definition of the phrase all in. Betting on one's money in a card game, such as poker. Now, if the elder board were to take the reserves that we have in the bank, and they were to go, let's go buy lotto tickets, let's be all in. You'd be probably a little bit alarmed if we used it in that sense as well. And so recognize when we come to this term, we're not going to be talking about teaching our adults and kids how to play Texas Hold'em and when to go all in. That's not where we're going here in this area. But there's a third definition. Look at, I'll put it on the screen as well. Fully committed to a task or an endeavor, giving or prepared to give all of one's energy or resources toward something. This is what we mean in this series. Now, there's a challenge with it as well, because the question is, what does all in mean? Now, we recognize that there's lots of different scenarios when it comes to be, you know, comes to be throwing it be all in in an area. Uh, when, when you think about some of you parents, we're all in in terms of buying birthday presents for our kids, okay? Doug Hansen is all in when, it buy, when he's getting diamonds for Nancy, okay? Th- th- that's what it means with all in there for him. But when it comes to different areas of our life, what does all in mean? And we realize it could be surrounding our health or our marriage, what it, our work, whatever that comes from. But as we gather together, we're all in. And in this series is, what does it mean to be all in in terms of a church? A church that Jesus Christ said he was going to build. Now, we could take it another direction, I think, as well. What does it mean to be all in with Jesus? That's a fair statement. But here's the deal even. Even that phrase, that phrasing, we can apply it to understand it of all in, but the third definition, how do we apply it to the different areas? How do we, how do we pick and choose which we need to be all in with? Realize, even for the Christmas season, I don't know if you've thought of it this way. God was all in. He sent his son into the world to grow up in this world and eventually die. And I think that phrase, toward God, he was all in. That applies. But let me ask you a question. 
if you were to pick a Bible story, say you've, many of you have grown up in a church, and if you were to look back and go, what Bible story or, or passage of Scripture would you use to describe what it means to be all in? All in. Uh, right away when I was thinking about that, I, I went to Moses. Okay, as an illustration. See, anyone who chooses to lead six million people into the desert without any certainty had to have been all in when it comes to obedience with God. I think Moses is a great illustration. I also thought about in Matthew when, it, when it, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew and they're out fishing in the boat. And he yells at them and says, Peter, Andrew, I want to make you fishers of men. And they go to shore and they start following Jesus. They were all in. Matter of fact, they walked a little bit longer past the shore there. And they come to uh, James and John. And they're understanding they're helping their dad fix the, the boat. And Jesus says, come and follow me. They were all in. Immediately they left him and started, left their business and started walking with Jesus. Now, I also have thought of another story as I was pondering this. And I want to put this one on the screen from 1 Kings 19. The context here is Elijah has just gotten word that he needs to find his replacement. And there's a man named Elisha that is going to be his replacement. And here's where I want to pick it up in, in chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, uh, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and he went back. And he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he burned to the, the plowing equipment to cook the meat and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. So God tells Elijah, I want Elisha to be your replacement. And Elisha's plowing in the field. He's a farmer. And, but Elijah throws the mantle on Elisha, which is a symbol of basically, I'm transferring my authority to you. But Elisha was all in. Do you see that? He responds. He burns his plow. Obviously, it's a wooden plow. He cooks the oxen and he throws a bit of a going away party and he was, he was all in. He didn't wait. But notice some of the things about this story that's kind of unique. See, he didn't start the conversation with, Elijah, would you give me about a week to think about it? Would you, would you give me you know, we spiritualize it. Would you just give me a couple days to pray on it? Can, can I count the cost before I follow you? 
you know, I'm becoming a missionary now. I need to go raise some support. You know, he doesn't put two columns and say pros and cons of becoming a prophet. He doesn't start it this way. Elijah, I heard about there was a, this woman out there named Jezebel. Is that going to happen to me as well? What does he do? He immediately follows Elijah. He is all in. He's all in. I, I think if that was us, we would count the cost. We would can I pray on it. See, would we ever respond that way to God? But let me throw you some questions on the screen, some things that we need to wrestle with here in the next month or so. What does it mean to be all in for a local church? How do we define that? What does it mean to be all in when in terms of engaging the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be all in when it comes to his word? Have we thought about those questions? Now, realize, two days, we're going to hit 2019, 2019. You know, didn't it seem like just yesterday that some of you were buying generators for Y2K? Somebody want to admit that? <laughs> Do you know if you would have bought a generator, instead of buying the generator, put that money away? With compound interest, you'd be able to go to that beach that I had up there on the screen. <laughs> 2019. Kind of a crossroads when we come to the first of the year. People tend to refocus this time of the year. And we know that there's different facets to focus on as we look even maybe to make some goals for even the coming year. You think of health, or marriage, our homes, our projects, some of those things, maybe vacations. But, it, but because we are a church, I think it's prudent to stop and ask the question, what does God want for GREFC in 2019? What does he want See, in many ways, I, I think it's, we have a unique opportunity here. One, it's a, yeah, it's the first of the year, and a lot of people start looking forward and pondering ahead. But I think in addition to that as a church, we, we have a new facility here, a new auditorium. There's new space being. It affords, and I think it's a, an example, but it affords us a time to stop and ask the question, what does God want for us? What should be our New Year's resolution for a church if we were to make one? Now, individually, we can do that. And let me throw one maybe individually. This might, you might want to participate with this. 2019 will be the year that I will be all in with Jesus. Would you be willing to take that challenge? Now, here's, here's the challenge, though, in that. There's another dilemma with it. Because if I were to hand each of you a piece of paper, and, and I want you to write one sheet of what it means to be all in with Jesus, do you believe that all of them would be consistent in the same? And I go, no. Not at all. 
See, people have different views of even what it means to be all in with Jesus. And people have different opinions as to what it means to be all in and a regular attender of a local church. That wouldn't be consistent if I asked you to write a paper on that. But So where do we begin? Of what it means to be all in in terms of a church. Well, let me throw you some points here for today. If you've got your outline, I said it this way, the first one. A key reality, key truth for us. The first one is this. We must allow the word of God to define what all in really is concerning our church. We look through the lens of Scripture to define what it means to be all in. Now realize again, each of us have had experiences and beliefs that shaped your understanding of the church and what's all in. And they're not simple, they're complicated, I think, at times, and they're not always consistent as well. Matter of fact, I've been in ministry for a lot of years now, and I've seen people who would say, Ken, I'm all in. And they go for a while, and their all-in begins to change. And a short time later, they flip, and they're all-in in a new direction that might be 180 degrees different than their first all-in. See, that is a possibility for people. We have to admit that. But the key, what, do this, what does the Bible, what do the Scriptures teach about a church, about a group of people that gather together of what it means to be all-in? See, I think there are key biblical issues, core issues that we must look at. Now, are there some nuances that you could debate? The answer is sure. But there's a consistency of Scripture when it comes to the church and what it means to be all-in. But I also believe that there is a starting point that is absolutely critical. Number two in your notes, I said it this way. The starting point for, for being all in for a local church is this, the great commandment. This needs to be the starting point of who we are as a church and what it means to be all in as both individuals and a church. I want to put up one of the uh, passages that, that give the great commandment. I'm going to choose, I've given the one from Mark here. But recognize as we walk through that the great commandment, there's two. It's love God and love your neighbor, okay? We'll recognize it as we go through it. But I want to read it here this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength 
strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I don't believe that there's a more important issue for us as individuals and as a group of people than this commandment. Now, I wish I could take about a month on the whole thing because understand the depth of it is profound. But in Mark here, if you understand, people are trying to trick Jesus to catch him so that they can accuse him of something wrong. So they come up to try to trick him, and he responds, I don't know if you realize this, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this Deuteronomy chapter 6 is referred to in the Hebrew, or into the Jewish faith, as the Shema. It's a word, the Shema is a Hebrew verb meaning to hear. Picture a megaphone. People, hear this. Hear this is utmost important. And the key truth, this key, the Shema, was fundamental and deeply important to the Jewish people. Matter of fact, even to this day in the Jewish faith, it is an important piece for those devout Jews in their morning prayers and their evening prayers, the Shema. But I want to put it from Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to put it on the screen here and from the Old Testament here. Look how it goes. Hear, O Israel. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So Jesus cites this foundational principle. And the Pharisees could not find fault in it. You know, they were thinking about, I don't know if you realize that there were 613 other rules that they had that they may have been referring to. But they were trying to figure out, you know, trick him in that, and he nails it. But notice the phrasing in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God is one. See, an affirmation in the existence of God and of one true God. Now we also, though, you need to catch an observation from the Deuteronomy text. And if we looked at it holistically, you'd see even more so. He is talking to a group of people in that Deuteronomy 6. He's talking to the whole nation of Israel. A group. See, what we tend to do always with Scripture way too quickly is we individualize it for us personally. But there is a group dimension to this Shema that I don't think we quite understand. Matter of fact, just from this idea it's written to a group, we have to transplant it to here to our era and say, this also applies to us as a group of people. This command is about a group of people. But here's the challenge for us. We love our independence. For for us, it's about the individual and our rights. 
And you got to catch something. That wasn't Israel. Nor was it the early church. See, even Israel of today, there is a group identity of the Jewish faith that's unique. Now, people are pushing back. They call it tribalism these days. And you hear that in the news. But there's this sense where they had this unity, this idea that this is us. And it still to them is very important. But understand this, as God addresses, as they're proclaiming the Shema, it's to a group and it's their identity of who they are. So what they understood was this, is that when parts of Israel, when tribes and individuals or groups and families were not loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, it impacted the whole country. The whole country. All of Israel. Do you catch how that applies to us? See, we think like this. If I don't love God, or you know what, God and me, we're struggling right now. We think that it only impacts us. And folks, that's not true. It impacts a whole group of people. Now, Jesus goes farther and he quotes the next verse in 5, which tells him how to love God. Now, you'll notice there in Deuteronomy, it's threefold. It's not four items, it's three. In Mark, it's four. It included the word mind there. And, and if you wonder, okay, was he, was he misquoting? The answer is no. The Hebrew word for um, all your might included both the mind and the strength. And when it got translated from Hebrew to Aramaic, Greek, okay, that's when it added to that fourth dimension, at the t- especially at the time of Jesus there. But the how to love with our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. See, we're to apply that, and that is a response to what God is doing. But here's what i got to remind you of here, and, and It was a little bit of an aha for me. Just a reminder, actually, as I read one of the commentaries on this. And a writer pointed this out. The how to love is a reflection of the complexity of God. Mind, will, soul, strength, okay? Let me give it for your notes. How, the how we are to love God mirrors God's love for us. How we are supposed to love God, God loves us that way. To reframe it like this, God loves us with his mind. He loves us with his heart, with his spirit. He loves us with his power and strength. God is love. In his mind, he thinks about us. He uses power to love us. In his spirit, he loves us, and he's even given us his spirit if we know him. And then the call, the reverse, then the call as a follower of Christ and as a gathering as a group of people is to refer, return that love to God with collectively our minds, our hearts, our strength, our will. 
See, realize that God has also then given us the Spirit to actually push us farther into loving Him. He's given us His Holy Spirit. That He wants us to love Him with the wholeness of who we are. But that's how He loves us back as well. Do we catch that? Do we catch that? We're called to love Him with our minds. See, you bump into people, they go, I don't really care about learning anymore about God. And you go, how's that loving Him with our minds? Or some of you only love with your mind and go, my emotions, my affections, ah, not necessary. No. He's inviting us to love with holistically all of who we are. Do we catch that? But here this, the Spirit keeps whispering to us, love me back. Love me back. And my question to you, do you hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit in your life that says, love me with my mind, the mind and the heart and the soul and the strength? As you read his word, do you hear that whisper coming back? I want your love. See, he's inviting us to taste and see how good he is. And he's telling us that I will even help you grow your desire to love him back. But that applies individually and, folks, also as a group. We do this also as a group, a gathered group of people, the church. And it impacts us. Let me throw you a theoretical question. What if you have two churches that say, we average about 250 people on a Sunday? And if you had two churches that that have that kind of attendance, and one of those churches, 10% of the people, 25 people, are all in when it comes to loving God. That's one church where 10% are going after God. They're pursuing Him. But then the other church, 80% of the people 200 people are pursuing God. Do you really believe that those churches are going to look the same? No. They will be radically different. We keep believing that our individual relationship with Christ doesn't make a difference for the whole, but folks, it does. It does. And as more and more people buy into the great commandment and they take it and they are all in on it, a church changes collectively. Collectively. Now, recognize there's another part of this great commandment. And I don't, I'm not going to, spend a lot of time on it here today. We're going to weave it through the entire series. But let me give you the obvious point here on that second part. Number four for your notes. A growing love for God. When we are all in with God, 
understand this, it will usher in a growing love for other people. It cannot not happen. But recognize the only way in which man can prove that he loves God is in fact by loving others. Now, realize we have this thing called the flesh, that old nature, that where love wants to curve back to ourselves. Sometimes we try to push and love people, and it comes right back. But it's fair to say that we can actually delude ourselves if we claim to love God and don't care about people. That claim is is delusional. Let me put the verse on the screen. I actually used it in in Christmas Eve service. Look at 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, the starting point of the second great commandment, it occurs that when we truly love God is that the outflow it will be directed toward other people. Now, in this context, First John, I've got to point this out. That brother is the believers. And if it's even much more in the context of a church. See, love for brothers and sisters in Christ is ignited when we love God. Now, yes, it applies even outside the church. I want to acknowledge that. But when we love God, other people people become more lovable, easier to love. We see them differently. Now, one of the things that I point out here is the fact that the Bible teaches that we are made in the image of God. And for that reason, man is lovable. To say it differently, God deems mankind worthy of being loved because he created them. But ponder this in a second. If we take away the command, if there was no command to love the Lord your God, if you took that away, or you say that God does not love us, it doesn't matter. If you take those things and strip them away from everything, we actually have nothing left. We are more, we are nothing more than a bunch of matter. If you take away the love of God and that command to love God, love means nothing. You might as well love dirt. See, the basis of loving people is firmly grounded in the love of God and the love for, and His love for humanity. But how do we know what love is? When it says, love your neighbor. The answer, I think, rightly, is Jesus. Jesus is our teacher, our guide. It's revealed how he loves in this book. He is the pattern of how God loves. And he came in one aspect to teach us how to love. He shows how to love the Father, how to love with our minds, with all of our strength and our will. 
So we look to him as the pattern. He is the great example in how we are to love people. And even farther, some of you know a verse. We look, look at him on the cross. And that tells us it is the highest fulfillment of what love is. Greater love than, is this than what? A man willing to what? Lay down his life. The ultimate act of love. But let me push you farther here. Got to catch something. To try to love God without loving other people is an act of selfishness. Is an act of selfishness. It is self-seeking. And let me push it farther. Someone don't like this one. To love others without God in the equation, there is no, no moral standard of what love is. None. If you take God out of the standard of what love is, there is no love. There's no moral compass as to what love really is. And it will degenerate into everybody loves the way they want to love, which isn't love. Catch that? Everybody does what's right in their own eyes concerning love. Functionally, what happens here, we have a world that we feel good about loving, giving love away. And the feeling becomes the motive, not God. The feeling becomes the motive. See, biblical love is generated by God. And loving God first leads to loving others with the right motives and the right heart. And we begin to see people differently. We begin to think like Jesus. Francis Chan was asked a question on this area, and I just want to read his response. How would my life change if I actually thought of each person I came into contact with as Christ would? The person driving painfully slow in front of me. Would we think differently? The checker at the grocery store who seems more interested in chatting than ringing up my items. Anybody relate to that? The member of my own church family with whom I can't even have a conversation and not get annoyed. Is that true? Do you catch where God is calling us as a people? You know, this week, I, I ended up talking to another pastor and where the church is going through some really, really hard stuff. And I left that conversation and I jumped back into my sermon prep for the day and it struck me, a question came to my mind almost immediately and I wondered if the core of the issue for that church as a group that they had lost their connection to the great commandment. Can a church lose its connection to the great commandment? 
See, can a church do church and even become comfortable and not be all in and still exist? And the answer is yes. The biblical answer is yes. I want to show you, I want to put it on the screen, Revelations chapter 2. Some of you know this. Look at verse 1 and 2. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but having tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. See, he commends the Ephesians for their many good works, their hard work. They were testing the teachers to see whether their teaching was biblical or not. They were enduring hardship. They persevered without growing weary. But something went wrong. They lost their heart, their warmth, their affection for the Father and the Son. They were doing church without the great commandment. See, when the great commandment is put to the side, you begin to go through the motions of serving and doing good works all motivated not by the love of God in Christ. And here's what I think they were motivated for, with, by. They were motivated by the works themselves. I think that's what it was for them. See, once once a, a love relationship is cooled, even collectively as a group of people, it only becomes a religion. There's no relationship. The passion for Jesus is lost. I'm going to call the worship team back up here. But what does this mean for our church, for Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church for 2019? And I think it's this. We need to stop and we need to ponder his love. It means we need to begin on our knees and ask that God would grow our love for him. Not just as individuals, but collectively. We would be loving collectively with our souls and our minds, our hearts, our wills. Let me put that Shema on the screen again for us. Hear, O Grand Rapids Evangelical Free Church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Could we begin 2019 by more and more that we are all in when it comes to this profound and great commandment? Let me pray.